I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, you guys, week three of trauma, trauma, trauma. Today, I wanted to talk about some practical things that you can do in like therapist, how to find a good therapist, what to do in the moment when you're feeling super triggered, all these kind of practical things that we can look at while you're unpacking your trauma. Next week, I'm going to go through all the stuff that you guys wrote on Patreon, and I'm going to kind of hit everybody one by one so we can start to like actually address a lot of your specific questions, which is awesome. And then I just want to let you know, I am going to do a bonus episode this month on food, food addictions, disordered eating, binge eating, body image, and body dysmorphia. Because guess what? If you're a woman in the United States with trauma, you are probably dealing with one of these issues, and I have a lot to say about it. <laughs> so today I want to jump in with like three of the main kinds of therapies, and there's all kinds of therapy out there, right? And we'll really dive into that this episode. But I'm going to be using some of these acronyms and for types of therapy, and so I just wanted to go through them first so that they make sense when I use it in a larger context. So. There is CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And this therapy is sort of based in reasoning and rationale. It's it's a Socratic method that uses critical thinking to question your assumptions, right? And I'd say the majority of therapy out there is sort of based in this. It's talk therapy, right? You know, for example, if like, you know, you come into your therapist and you're like, oh my God, I'm such a loser. Like you have this like deep feeling of inadequacy, the therapist is going to point you in directions of like, well, let's see, you have a high paying job. Did you accomplish any goals this week? And you like rattle off all the goals. You know, the therapist might point you in the direction of your successes. So it's going to, it's going to fight your inner dialogue with actual facts on the outside. And so that's a lot of your general talk therapy and talk therapy can vary widely. And it really depends on it depends on just the therapist. So some therapists like stay absolutely silent and just kind of give you the mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and you start piecing shit together. My experience is that that takes a really long time. And I'll go into a little bit more of that when we get to actual, you know, how to make your therapy really effective. The next kind of therapy is dialectical behavioral therapy. And this is called DBT. I was trained in DBT. DBT actually uses more mindfulness, uh, relies on Buddhism and Zen practices, but in a very 
concrete way. Like there are actual workbooks and charts. And so you get mindful of the feeling. You, you know, chart it on a pain scale and you try to decrease your emotional reaction. This type of therapy is super great if you have eating disorders, cutting, suicidal ideation, if you had uh, repetitive sexual abuse, like over time. Generally, it was invented for people with quote unquote borderline personality disorder, which ends up being like, I got labeled with that early on. It's generally for people who like couldn't fit into any other box. People who have this kind of trauma kind of are in constant pain. I used to describe it as like, I felt inside out. My skin felt inside out and just anything, your words, your look, the world would just like hit my inside out skin the wrong way. It's often been described as walking through a world full of knives. And so this type of behavior, um, this type of therapy doesn't focus on talking because you're kind of almost never going to get to the bottom of this. It's really more about how to tolerate these feelings and how to be in a world full of pain. And by doing that, you minimize your pain and you minimize your reaction. CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy, that's really good. Like if you, you kind of have some mild issues, you know what's going on. You just need to talk through it. You need to figure out your shit with your mother. And so you're going to have this like back and forth, right? Dialectical behavior therapy is really, it's very structured. So if you feel like you need something very structured to sort of deal with the pain that you almost experience constantly at a low level, DBT would be for you. DBT works very fast. I've seen it. I I got trained. So in my history, you know, I've shared that I was a cutter in my teens and early 20s. And I found my therapist who just happened to be fucking amazing. Like, I don't know how I actually, I think I'd seen a couple of therapists that were not great, but I like third try, I happened upon the best therapist. And I would not have known that at the time. And it took a long time. Like I, I often say she's got three houses on my dime. It took years and years, but we had to unpack. And I was unaware I was being triggered the cutting was like a a knee-jerk reaction. Everything was a trigger. So like there was a lot to unpack. If you already know what you have, then CBT might be appropriate for you. DBT wasn't invented at that point in time for me. And I wish it had been. I think it would have been a very effective tool for me. But what ended up happening is I was a social worker. I got trained in that. And because I worked so well with cutters, with people who had uh, sexual abuse, I was like helping people get Manage their pain so good that I I worked up the food chain. I ended up working very closely with the woman who invented DBT, and so it was like this weird moving up the social worker food chain really quickly because it, it was very effective. And I could because I had that history, I could really work with those people most effectively. So it's a very quick, structured way, um, and by quick, I mean months, but not years. (laughs) CBT can be circular. And so it could take like a really long time. And the next acronym is EMDR, which stands for eye movement desensitization. Um, Oh, I can't think of what the R is. I'll have to get back to you. (laughs) But EMDR is a bilateral therapy. So it's usually done with a hand motion in front of your eyes or oftentimes with headphones on and you'll hear like alternating sounds in your ears. And what the therapist has you do is bring up a moment of trauma and you don't even really have to do anything. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have to... um 
what do I want to say? You don't have to work through it. You don't have to process it. And the brain does the work for you. What's fascinating about EMDR is they did studies on veterans who had PTSD from war and they did MRIs of their brain and EMDR literally relocates the trauma in the back of your brain. So it's not in front of your brain affecting your judgment and your impulse. EMDR is really appropriate for PTSD, rape, accidents, war, impact trauma, I call it. So there's like definitely like an event that you can recall. It would be effective therapy if say you had, it's not going to be effective therapy if like you're dealing with your mom, like your mom issues, that would be more like CBT. EMDR is really good for that impact trauma that one time. So I remember I I tried EMDR and my therapist had said at the, by the way, I've tried every therapy. So (laughs) You can ask me anything about any kind of therapy, including whack job therapies. But she described it as if she had a client who in 9-11, you know, he came up from the subway to the Twin Towers falling. He was very traumatized by the event. But for him, it came down to this singular motion, this moment where he came up from the subway and all he could see were the neckties. And like his, he was able to work through the trauma just focusing on that moment of seeing the neckties. So they would go back to that moment of coming up the subway, that feeling, and then the bilateral, he happened to do the auditory, but it can again be like the therapist having a hand motion in front of, in your eyes. And he was able to work through that PTSD just by relocating the trauma. Because like the thing about those kinds of trauma, impact trauma, they're so, you can't, their body responses. It's PTSD. They're not going to talk therapy. You can talk about 9-11 until you're blue in the face, but it's not going to take away that impact of like fucking coming up from the subway and seeing this like post-apocalyptic scene. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no amount of talking that's going to get you through that. That's what EMDR would be really good for. So these kinds of therapies bring up the question, how do you find a good therapist? I also like Haley had asked me a question. You know, I have found a therapist who can really reach me, but over time, the sessions just fizzled. What can I do to make the most out of my sessions? I think that's a really great question because I feel like that's a better question than how can I find a good therapist? The one thing that shocks me is that, like I said, I happened upon the best fucking therapist in the world. And I got so lucky because I know from my personal life, I know from clients that there are a lot of shitty therapists. So number one, you know, I think you can deal with a shitty therapist if you learn how to be effective in sessions. But obviously, I'd like you to find a good therapist. And what's amazing is telemedicine now has sort of opened things that used to be widely recognized that you could only do therapy in person. But telemedicine and COVID has changed that. So it's kind of opened up the whole country and even the the globe as far as, you know, types of therapy that you can have over Zoom or over a phone call. I would always recommend trying to find something in person if you can. A friend of mine's a therapist and he's seeing people in person and they just, he set up his office. So they're like 10 feet away and he has, you know, airflow and and he's like hand sanitizer. You know, you start crying and you're blowing your nose a lot. (laughs) So One of the things you want to do is you definitely want to do a little research if you know your issue. So if you know you're dealing, you know, it's come to your attention, you're realizing, holy shit, my mom was super narcissistic. I can see how this is flowing into my parenting. I need to deal with this. That's great. I mean, it's so important to be able to say that to a therapist, be like, look, 
I don't have time for bullshit. I want to fix this issue because I'm parenting. It's number one, you have to find somebody who sort of specializes in trauma. And if you can find somebody who specializes in trauma while parenting, that's amazing. I will caveat that with, I have, through my private clients, there's just shitty therapists out there, even ones who say they work with trauma and parenting. So do a little research. Interview. Don't be afraid to interview and reject therapists like instantly. One of the things that it's so amazing to me is that there's a lot of therapists out there who can't stomach trauma. They'll get wigged out if your trauma is like intense, like sexual abuse or cult behavior or severe abuse. There's there's therapists who can't deal with that. So that's a shame, but like you got to know that up front. I know when I was engaged to the narcissist that I had talked about, we had gone for group therapy and the therapist could not talk about sex. He called it like intimacy. He had all the euphemisms for it. And I was like, if this guy can't talk about fucking, there's, if he can't say those words, like I'm out, you know, it's like he couldn't stomach talking about sex. How do you go to a couple's therapist who can't like dive into sex? That's crazy to me. So feel free. Like if you don't have a good feeling, if you're just not connecting, you might have to interview several therapists and that's okay. The clearer you can be, the better off you'll be in finding somebody and being effective, you know? But that being said, if you don't know your issue, can you at least figure out your reaction? Like, I am yelling at my kids. I know it's a trauma response and I can't quite get to it. Or it could even be like, hey, I'm listening to this chick on Patreon and she just defined all these traumas. And I think I'm dealing with a gaslighting parent. Can you help me with this? You know what I mean? So when you can be that specific, it's awesome. If you have, uh, I'm not famous enough for other therapists to know me, but if you have somebody that you are particularly drawn to who is sort of a famous trauma worker or therapist like Gabor Mate. So I have a friend who just super, she's, she's gone down the Gabor Mate rabbit hole and it's so resonating with her and she wants to work through it with a therapist. So I said, you know what, that just call the therapist and say, I love Gabor Mate. Do you know his work? Because that's how I, that's the basis of how I want to work. So it was so funny because she, she did that. And this one therapist replied with, well, my, upon Google search, I see that some people think he's a, he's a scammer. The fuck kind of response is that from a therapist? So I was like, dude, don't even, don't even talk to that therapist. (laughs) Right. So if you have a base or even like, even a trigger that you don't understand, like you saw a movie and you're like, wow, I cried for three days after seeing this movie, something triggered. I don't know what it is. Do you think you could help me work through it? I think the biggest thing in how to be effective is you don't want to bitch and vent. Okay. You want to, especially when you're going through, when you're unpacking trauma while you're parenting, you do not have time to fuck around. So it should be goal oriented because you want to not just process the information, but you want to come out with some parenting skills because what's probably happening is your trauma response is affecting your child. And you know that, and you're kind of incapable of, of stopping that. There are really hardcore skills that you can do without unpacking your trauma. So I would really encourage you to like say that to the therapist up front and come in with notes and be like, this is what I want to work on today. Can we process it? Can we, but come up with some skills for me to like deal with it? Yeah. Having clear goals. I want to stop yelling. I want to stop being passive aggressively silent. My child is picking up on it and it's making him anxious. Those kinds of things. That's a, that's a really great goal. And again, we'll talk, and I'm going to talk more about some physical things you can do in the moment. But you can't, it can't be all just processing because that's not going to help you 
that's not going to help your parenting in the moment. Does that make sense? Therapy while you're parenting is really, really tricky. You cannot unpack every can of worms because you have to be a sane, calm, level parent. So it's you have to open the can of worms very slowly. You have to realize, you have to get very good at this. And this is a skill I would ask the therapist to help with is how to meter out the trauma. Because if you open that can of worms, you're going to be a fucking disaster. And you can't, you don't have that luxury when you're parenting, right? So you want to like address these things kind of slowly. The more, of course, the more trauma you have, mother and father stuff fucking blows but that stuff has to be metered out, particularly mother stuff, I think. Father stuff tends to be like validation, pride, self-esteem, but the mother stuff gets super, super sticky. On that note, a super duper practical thing is to allow enough time to process. So I was working with a wonderful person and I know she's listening to this and she was very, very hurt. She was, she had the best therapist. She could go, she could unpack the shit. And the problem was she got flooded and she would be an emotional mess for a couple of hours after. So we set her up so that on her therapy days, she could have childcare a little bit longer. And maybe that's like when your spouse comes home, you can have an evening appointment, but she needed a buffer to process and to get her shit back together. So she needed to cry it out, you know, and then be able to get it together because she was trying to get, she was getting out of therapy a mess and trying to go right home to her kids and it it wasn't working. She was dissociating. But on that note too, I said, listen, tell your therapist, like the therapist, sometimes they're only human and sometimes they can't gauge what's going on, but you have to make sure that you close the wound before you leave the building. So whatever boxes you opened, whatever can of worms you opened, whatever wound got opened in therapy, it has to close. So make sure that your therapist, you know, either tacks on an extra 15 minutes or attends to that and helps you close it up so you can go back into the world a little protected, a little shielded. Because man, if you go back into the world with that open wound, fuck, it's going to be bad. And you're just going to go to all your trauma responses without even thinking about it. Okay. So that's like a super practical thing. What I want to do right now is I want to read Kat who posted on Patreon and I want to read her whole post because I feel like there's so much in this post that is so appropriate for all of us dealing with trauma that It's just a perfect springboard for so many things that I want to hit. So I'm going to read the whole post and then we're going to kind of pull it apart. So Kat wrote, my husband and I are both separately doing EMDR with our therapists because when our girls started emerging as toddlers who are now three and five, we were both triggered, but didn't know it for very separate reasons. We had just started this important work after years of suffering when the pandemic began You can imagine how difficult it's been. No regular childcare, no reprieve since March 6th while trying to work through trauma that is activated on the daily. It means so much to me that you call this out as a special can of worms because it is truly, and I have chronic pain to boot. I've been able to do more processing than my husband and have seen tremendous gains, but it's challenging to co-parent with someone who is reacting from trauma and doesn't see it yet or hasn't quite found the source. 
He can't see my improvements to validate them because he's still in the trenches. And shouldering all of this cerebral work, in addition to digital kindergarten, what a joke, trying to homeschool a preschooler even a little bit, and find grace for everyone every day. Oh, and don't forget to go outside and get big play in, and, 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 and. It seems every hour is filled with trying to decide if this is the hill to die on or is this the one you let go? Is this one of those times he's expecting too much or I'm not expecting enough? I want more fluidity. He thinks we need more rigidity. I have an inner locus of control and believe I mold the child-parent relationship, but he has an outer locus of control and feels they are doing things to him and he doesn't know how to stop it. He's in this confusing cycle of trying to connect and then redirect, but they run all over him. Then I do it and I get completely different results. How frustrating for him and me because I don't understand why they are different with him either since he started connecting. Also, there's no manual on developmentally appropriate. So this constant undercurrent of our perspectives on what it means for each child clashing all day. I wish there were a quote unquote Bible to make things easy for us. Allow this behavior, ABC, and expect more in regards to this area, XYZ. Just to end our debate, it's so frustrating that every child is different and look at the child in front of you. Okay, well, where is my child on this particular thing? And oh, what's behind the behavior? Because that's what it's really about. Oh my God, too much is it bedtime yet. (laughs) Kat, I love you. And I am sending you the biggest hug. I think that is every person right now, right? (laughs) Do you feel that? I feel like that's every mom. I'm going to go through this like little, not pick it apart, but I want to go through it slowly because I think there's just so much here for all of us to benefit. So number one is specifically, Kat, I actually think EMDR might be the wrong therapy for you guys. Like I said, EMDR is great if you have these like impact traumas, but because it's like rewiring the brain, there's not really any skill building. So I think your husband in particular needs a different kind of therapy, maybe dialectical behavioral therapy, maybe CBT, maybe just talk it out, maybe parenting. I think you guys need couples. I think you should meet together, not just separate. I think he needs the skills management, right? So while he's processing, while he's learning his trauma, he also needs that skills management, both for him and for the parenting stuff. EMDR, again, and your your therapist might be working in a very different way than uh, typical EMDR. But again, if it's there's not a whole lot of skill building because it's relocating the trauma in your brain. So it should lessen things, but that still doesn't help him with the parenting. There's so much there. Like, Number one, because you've processed more, you're a little more advanced. You have to resist the urge to try to bring him up to your level. He's not there yet. You can't do it. And so you kind of have to take all the stuff that you've done and sort of back burner it and you have to meet him at his level because, again, he is in the trenches and he can't see it. And all it looks like to him is that you're better at this than him. You literally might be overwhelming him with the processing if you guys do this because, and men listening, this is not, I've talked about this before, this is not a um, a judgment. Men's limbic system is 50% smaller than women's. They do not process the same. They take a long time. It And culturally, I think this, this is true too. It takes men longer to identify the feeling, to identify the source of the feeling, you know, never mind trauma. 
So really try not to get too ahead of him because you've had more time to process. And I just think women by nature are just better at processing. But we've been, if to be fair, that's a cultural thing. We've been encouraged to share all our feelings. We've been encouraged, like that's typical for women to be on the phone and talk to your friends and, and really get to the bottom of it where men aren't encouraged to do that. As far as all the parenting stuff and that I hear that you got to be this, you got to be that, you got to be this, you got to be that. And what, what, what? I want you guys to listen to me very closely because this is a key point. We've been hoodwinked into thinking we have to be 100% present for every feeling, for every emotion. We need to be on top of everything with our kids. And that is a fucking lie. At the base of everything, you, your only job as a parent is make sure your child is well-fed, well-slept, and moves their body. Like, if nothing else, if you do nothing else in a day, that will be excellent parenting. This is particularly important because you also need to eat well, sleep well, and move your body. There is nothing else that takes priority, okay? You cannot allow yourself to be in a weakened physical condition. Every day, but especially if you're working with trauma. So there are going to be some days, Kat, that I think you say, fuck it. You don't worry about what's developmentally appropriate, okay? And you just, you get through the day. Did my child sleep well? Because if they're well slept, I can guarantee you are cuddling with them before bed. You're reading stories. If they're eating well, you're taking care of business. You're probably having meals together. And if you move your body, you're engaging on a a physical level with your kids. So really, really, really lower your bar. And I can tell just by your language. Listen, any parent who can say, I have an inner locus of control and believe I mold the parent-child relationship, girl, you're fucking light years ahead of most people. 95% of people, you're light years ahead of them, okay? So that's how you give yourself some grace. (sighs) Take a breath. You don't have to be all things to everybody, okay? When there's an obvious moment for triggers, which it does sound like with your husband, yeah, here are some real physical things that you guys can do. And, and this is this is not just for you, Kat, and your husband, but this is honestly for everybody. When you feel these moments of trigger, number one, you just have to catch it. Can you start being aware? Can you find that moment where the scale tips? So uh, for me, I have a thermometer. It goes probably up to like up my neck and right down, right through my pelvis area. And it's a thermometer all the way up, like my spine, but it's in the core and it gets hot when I've been triggered. Now it's like a moving, it's like, um, it's almost like that strong man, you know, when you do the, the hammer and you bang it and the bell goes up, that's what it looks like. If my thermometer is low, if it's just like a little bloop, then it's a trigger that's like in real life. It's like, oh no, you're just being a fucking jerk. Like, <laughs> Right. It's not attached to anything. It's just you just made me mad. Now, if it goes, if it zooms up and I get superheated, literally, I feel my face flush, my heart starts racing. That's old. And I've just learned over time that that's my physical response. And so it's a really good system. It's a good flagging system because it goes whomp. And when the more it gets heated and the faster it goes, the more I know, shut the fuck up, get out of the room, don't hit send, get off the keyboard, like go out in nature. Okay. That's, that's like my cue because I know it's old. I know my response while always valid. My response can't be right. I'm going to see things through the lens of trauma. I'm going to see things through a different kind of lens. So I have to just 
like remove myself. So that's what I mean. Can you find a way to catch it? Like, like you guys, you know, I shared my fucked up parenting moment with Pascal. I couldn't stop it. I could feel it, but I couldn't stop it. So those are the moments that you go, I'm about to fucking over talk. I'm going to stop. (laughs) I'm about to yell. I'm going to stop. So that would be the very first thing I would work on. Where do you feel it in your body? And can you catch it in that moment? Do you feel it or do you only feel it after? So that would be your very first practical skill, trying to find it. If you are a, and again, I'm going to do a whole episode on eating, but if you find yourself about to binge eat and you know it because binge eaters just don't eat everything in the house. They eat fucked up things. Like, trust me, I know. It's like tuna fish on Oreos. You just, it's bizarre. Yes, I've done that. (laughs) So if you go to the cupboard and you're like, you can feel your mind racing, Can you catch it right there? And can you stop it? Again, my thermometer works for me, but if you can have a gauge, zero to 10, whatever that looks like for you, I think it's helpful to gauge because if it's very small, it's like I said, it's usually in real time. Are you dissociating? So do you feel a veil come over your eyes? Do you feel you zone out? Do you feel like you disappear from reality? If you do, if you may know that you have a habit of dissociating in the moment, right? Like some people dissociate so that they end up screaming at their kid and they don't even remember what they said. So that's dissociation, right? You're just so not present. So if you feel that heat comes up and you start to like zone out, a veil comes over. Some people say they see red. I've heard people describe it as like, I don't know. It's like a helmet goes on my head. The sound gets uh, more muffled. The, your eyesight might be affected. Literally, can you get yourself out of the situation? And I know it's hard when you have like little, little guys, but can you be like, one second, I'm going to step outside. Just do something different. Change your state immediately. In that moment, there are different tricks for this. So I learned this is like, can you find five green things? Can you find four yellow things, three orange things, two red things, one purple thing? So that's how my therapist taught me to get back into the room, we call it, right? So like you left the room spiritually, metaphorically, can you bring yourself into the present? But I have heard more people say, can you see five things, list four things you can hear, three things you can touch, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. So again, that is a moment you have to catch it, but can you go through those things to bring you back into the moment, right? And I do think these are important because a lot of times too, if you can just jog your memory, you might be tasting something that is like a flashback. You might be like, holy fuck, I can taste the Cheerios on that morning that my mom slapped me on the face, right? Like it might bring up a a hardcore memory or a hard flashback. You might hear flashbacks. You might see flashbacks, right? So it's it's an interesting way. and, And that's why I like the color thing because sometimes in the moment, you know, if you're already triggered, you kind of don't want a flashback. But if you're if you can stay aware enough, it could be good information for you and your journal and your therapist. I know that sometimes for so many people I know, siblings fighting triggers our trauma response because it brings up parents yelling. If you grew up in a house of constant yelling and fighting, your kids yelling and fighting could be a hairpin trigger and just make you lose it. So one thing I know, like even in the car, the car is great because the kids are buckled up, put on headphones. Like if you can't deal, put on headphones immediately just to calm your system so that you can be like, okay, I need to, I need to just be present right now. I need to be present. What we want to do is eliminate the hairpin trigger that either dissociates you and or dissociates you and then makes you say or do wrong things. But again, it's all about catching it. So let that be 
your guide, okay? Now, the next step is sort of reverse engineering it. So when, because largely I think the biggest issue with, you know, parenting while dealing with your trauma is that you don't want your trauma to leak on your kids. And so you can see that happening, right? And so that is, I think, the biggest issue. It's not just that it's hard. I'll uh, Please, I'm so acknowledging just how hard it is just on any surface level to dig into this shit while parenting. But the biggest issue is you don't want your kids to, to have this, this stuff, right? You don't want to pass it on. So this is super important. Do not let your kid do anything that makes you dislike them or that pisses you off. Do not allow it. Do not give three chances. Do not let it go on. And I want to unpack this because it's super important. This happens continually in all my work. Parents allow things that they don't like. This is especially tricky because when you're parenting with trauma, your instinct might be a trauma response, right? And so you know you don't want to raise them with your trauma response. So you try to do something wildly different. However, not having dealt with your trauma and your trauma response, doing something different is out of your comfort zone and makes you lose your shit even more. So let me give you an example because that's a kind of trippy concept. Let's say you know that you have almost an OCD cleaning trauma response. Like, you know you're ridiculous. You know it's not normal. You're looking for a therapist. You don't know what to do. You know that your kids are starting to show OCD cleaning response. You know you're passing it on. So you're like, I can't do this. I can't pass this on to my kids. So today, I'm not going to wipe the floor. I'm going to let them come in and I'm going to let them get uh, muddy. The problem is that's going to make you lose your shit. So while you are finding help for your trauma response, do not try to parent any differently. Okay. Don't try to like, I know my instincts a little off right now, so I'm going to do something different because all the parenting experts say this. Yeah. Don't do that. Really (laughs) hang on to it. Now your kids have plenty of time to heal. Okay. But like you're going to do more damage if you lose your shit. So don't allow that. Okay. You want to reverse in the same token. You want to reverse engineer the problem. If you know you have a trigger point and you know that you can't catch it, you're not at that point yet. You know, you can't catch it. Okay. So let's say, um, it, this is so common. I I've, I've literally worked with at least 10 people with this issue. Sibling yelling brings trauma to the forefront because it triggers like a flashback. It triggers all the shit of uh, a, a household full of yelling. Parents are having a hard time catching it, catching it in the moment. They can't quite get to that pause yet. So one of the things that comes up is like, well, I know they should work it out. And I know I should let it go for a little while to see if they work it out. No, not if it makes you dissociate, start yelling, not remember what you said to your kids. No, no, no. We want to actually separate them at the first sign. They're going to just, don't worry about it, guys. If you're, if you're actively seeking help for your trauma, you're going to work through this quick and your kids will be fine. And they'll figure out how to work it out on their own another time. But in these moments, these super hard moments, you have got to stop the behavior that's triggering you. And so, you know, and of course, obviously there's some behavior you can't stop as with a toddler, but there's a lot of these problems that you can reverse engineer and say, well, when they throw food at the table that, you know, it's so disrespectful and that triggers that triggers a trauma response for me. 
Don't give them the opportunity, like let them throw it once and then say, okay, you know what? You're done with dinner. So you have to like nip things in the bud. Most of the time, it's not the first time a kid does something unless they do something horrific, like throw something heavy at your head, right? That usually elicits a a big response, but that's not trauma-based. That's just like, oh my God, I almost got hurt, right? So if, but if something happens, usually we get triggered and it can be a hairpin trigger, but it's not the first time the kid does it. We usually let the behavior go on too long, okay? And so that's that's really important to start reverse engineering it. I'm super huge on reverse engineering any problem in my life. Like, hey, where did this start? Oh, okay, it's this. Oh, it's, and before that, here comes this. So literally the first skirmish you hear with the siblings, uh uh-uh, separate rooms. You go over here, you go over here. No, I'm not having it today. Okay. Another thing that comes up in Kat's post, it's same page parenting. And I know this is such an issue. I mentioned it in all of the episodes here is that working with a partner who you're just not on the same page, be it because of trauma or because of something else. Okay. So Number one, I want you guys, and Kat, this would be great for you. I really suggest this for you, Kat. Go back to, oh crap, I have a toddler. There's a whole chapter on the core values. I want you to do the exercise. I actually had a couple of people message me and say that it worked brilliantly. Like they're still, you know, the spouses are like um, still working it out, but it's a really good base of working together to get on the same page with parenting. If you need, by the way, if you guys like are struggling with this to do it on your own, if you want to book a private with me, just email me and I'll let, I'll let you know. Normally I I do like 300 and we work for a whole month, but if you just needed help with this values exercise and just wanted to do like an hour so I can help you guys get through it, I'm totally willing to do that. And, um, you know, I'll prorate the price. So let me know if that's something you need help with because it's that important. So you can always email me through Patreon or, um, yeah, just hit me up on Patreon if that, if you want to do something like that. So much of our values are hidden from us, right? We just don't know them. I talk a lot about this. And some of our values really could be trauma-based, but they don't necessarily have to be trauma-based. It's best though to get to the actual value first and then figure out if it's something you feel strongly about because, because of parenting research and knowledge or do you feel strongly about it because it's just a reaction, okay? So you want to go from the bottom up. And right now, Kat, it sounds like you guys are trying to work from the top down. So let's look at like the fluidity, rigidity. That's a really good, That's a, that could be a core value. So if we ascertain that rigidity, like super scheduled, super committed, su- you know, super boundaried, if that is really a core value for him, we have to figure out why. And so- you know, that's where you would go into some depth and say, you know, it could be that he, you know, given some time to process and reflect, he might think, you know what, they have to respect me, that I need this control. My mom ran her house like this, or my mom didn't run her house like this. Like we were all over the map and I feel like we really suffered. That is based in some trauma. That is based in the reaction, right? So that's something you guys could work through. Now, it could also be that he's he's like, look, I've read the parenting books too. Kids thrive with a rigid schedule and a rigid attitude from us, at least for these five years. And then, you know, then we can start to open it up a little bit. And so who knows? He may have that base. And that's going to change your reaction because you might go, holy shit, I didn't know he thought about this. I didn't know he read that article. I didn't know. And then you guys can start to get on the same page. So that's what I would recommend in this situation. Yeah. You need a framework in these situations. 
particularly you've got so much going on. You just can't hit it all. So what I would work on first in a situation like this, like when trauma is like hot and front and center and, and you can see it in your spouse or you can see it in you, but you're drowning in everything else. I would like sit down in the morning, get up a little earlier than your kids, grab your cup of coffee and just list a couple of things that you're going to do today. Are we going to attend to the physical? We're going to go to the park and we're not going to think about anything. Yeah. You guys also need a framework for boxing up the trauma. So can you say, honey, let's put this in a box. I love that phrase. I've used it with clients. I use it with myself. We need to put this in a box and put it in the closet for now. I love you. The kids love you. Let's go out for ice cream. You have to get really good at boxing up the stuff because if you're constantly trying to process, work through the trauma, parent the kids, do all the right things for the kids, obviously, like I could feel you out of breath. I could feel your exhaustion in this post. So really get good at boxing it up. You got to compartmentalize. Like even like throughout the years, like dealing with my sister, I literally at some points had to say, you got 10 minutes. You got 10 minutes to yell at her in your head. You got 10 minutes to argue with her in your head. And then you have got to forget about it for the day. So I got really good at compartmentalizing because I knew my perseveration was destroying me. And not only that, but she wasn't even taking part. So get, you know, that's what I would work on first is like a framework for how you're going to work with this. This is super important in general. And it's so funny because I, I do this whenever I enter a relationship, right? Like it's all good, but you want to set up the framework. I like second date, I start talking about how are we going to argue? Because life is great. You don't have to do shit when it's all good. You need skills and a framework for when the shit hits the fan, right? That's where trouble comes up. When your kid's behaving, you don't need skills, (laughs) right? It's only when your kid loses their shit that you need the skills. So it's really important to set up the framework. Like, hey, babe, how are we going to work with this? And so sit down and and that should be easy to do because you're not poking any hot points, you know? It's like, let's talk about this. And and Ken, when things get too thick, like work with him on some physical skills. Babe, when your trauma comes up, can you just leave the room? Just go outside, go barefoot for 10 minutes outside, ground yourself, and then come back. Don't worry about the kids. By the way, Kat, I do want to say that you are right. I do think it's really important just to validate you and acknowledge you that the inner locus of control, you do mold the parent-child relationship, yeah? And his outer locus of the, they're doing it to me is 100% a trauma response. So I just wanted to validate you that that, as much as you guys might be arguing about it, it's not really an argument, okay? So in fact, I would probably stop talking about it with him till he works a little more through his trauma because that's a complete trauma response. But this framework is super great because it's something to lean on. So one of the things when when you're depressed, like every therapist will kind of tell you, you need a list that you can refer to because when you can enter like this super depressed state or even if you dissociate, you don't remember your skills, right? Especially if they're new. So you might need a list that says, you know, make your bed, take a shower, get outside for 10 minutes, move your body for 20 minutes. Just, you know, and I remember times in my life where I would just look at that. I was totally numb. I would go through the motions, but it would change my state. And so if nothing else, it would lift me a little bit, but it would also just doing something on a list makes you feel a little more accomplished, right? Like I accomplished a little bit of a goal. I did these things. So that's your bottom. And again, that's where I go back to, is my child well-fed? Is my child well-slept? Is my child moving my body? Bare, bare bones. And that's okay. That's really okay. Everything else is icing on the cake. And sometimes I do think a trauma response is over 
rethinking how our relationship is with our kids because we're so aware of the pathology behind what parents can do to us. So we're so hyper aware, but sometimes that's just not good. It's just too much. It's overthinking. It's overprocessing. I think I've mentioned this before. I had a friend who said, I don't process, I puree. You want to make sure you're not puree. (laughs) So again, it's so worth it to take some time to say, all right, let's work on this together. What do we do? And it may be solo work for you. What do I do when I feel this coming on? And again, the big takeaway from this episode, see if you can catch the moment. See if you can identify the physical sensation that happens at the moment of trigger. At the moment, there's always a tipping point, even if it's not a hairpin trigger. There's a tipping point where you go, I'm about to do the thing I don't wanna do. How can I stop it? And it's not about like, I don't want you to think like, say it's binge eating. I don't want you to think, oh, how can I deal with my binge eating? How can you get the fuck out of the house? Just that. How can you get away from the fridge? How can you step outside? How can you take five minutes to just move to a different position, right? Which can also just change your state, kind of shake it up, lift that veil, get the red blinders that came down off your eyes. All right. So that's, that's your job this week. (laughs) Can you do that? All right. So that's awesome. Next week, I can't wait to go through more responses with you guys. And these episodes have just, they're so great. And I'm so glad we're doing this. And I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. This is hard fucking work. Please know that you're changing an entire paradigm of parenting. You are shifting the world. And I know it feels like shit. I'm literally recording this the day after the insurrection at the White House and at the Capitol building. We're in like a crazy time and the world needs healing more than ever. This is the shit that's going to heal it. We're creating a new generation that's going to be so wildly different because we're doing this work. So please validate yourselves. Please take care of yourselves. Please reach out if you have any questions about these episodes. And uh, oh man, I hope you guys just have a great day and rock on. All right, I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book presale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.